0: Hello, 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 I
1: hello, hello Hello, 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 I hello, hello. Hello everyone and welcome to Life on the Spectrum. Episode two. I'm John Stanis. I'm joined by my lovely wife, Julie. Hello. And we're here back to talk about our life on the spectrum, our uh, experiences raising autistic children, our two boys, then their two normal girl siblings, and ourselves, and just exploring this world and fumbling our way through it one day, one week, one hour at a time. There's a bit of a back joke about that that I guess you just had to wonder about. Today we want to talk a bit about Diet. Diet is a really big thing when it comes to autism. Autistic people tend to have a lot of sensory issues, and one area that we all have a lot of senses, obviously, is our mouths. I know, personally, food texture has a huge impact on me, of how I see food, how I like food. There's one particular food for me, melon. I hate melon. I don't really mind the flavor of melon or watermelon or anything like that, but I will not eat melon.
0: True story.
1: What won't you eat because of texture?
0: Oh, probably like shrimp.
1: Yeah, shrimp. Uh, Coconut. Coconut, I don't mind the texture so much, but uh, what's that? Calamari squid.
0: Yeah, I don't do anything slimy.
1: Yeah. I can never get you to order the eel at the sushi restaurant. Nope. But the mere fact that I've gotten you to eat sushi is quite an accomplishment at this point.
0: True.
1: Um, anyway, so we want to talk a bit about our kids because they've had quite a bit of history. Um, part of what sparked this conversation, though, was a recent webinar put on by Spark Autism. It's, uh, is it local? Is it considered local with OHSU or is it it's national?
0: No, it's a national. Spark's for Autism. Um, and I guess organization is the right term for mm-hmm.
1: that. We just didn't really hear about it at all until we moved here.
0: Purely coincidence. (laughs) Well,
1: quite the coincidence then. Anyway, so they had this uh, presentation uh, put on by Susan L. Hyman. I should say Dr. Susan L. Hyman. She didn't go to medical school over seven years just to be called Susan. And she went through some interesting research that they've been compiling on uh, children autistic children and their dietary habits and the nutritional needs and things that they've found um, over time. She talks about things like the chicken nugget and cheese cracker diet, um, which is a highly restrictive diet, obviously, if you're just eating chicken nuggets and cheese crackers. Um, But it's a lot of... What's somewhat indicative of some of the very extreme diets that autistic people put themselves on because they really don't want to expand out into uh, other dietary stuff. I always remember, if we talk about, again, autism and pop culture, there's the show, um, what's the one on Netflix with the penguins? Atypical? Yes. Yeah, Atypical. And Atypical, um, the boy is always talking out about how he wants to eat Butters, noodles with butter, which is interesting because that is also one of our boys' favorite meals, is butter noodles.
0: And I might caveat that Atypical is a much better portrayal of an autistic person than any of the other shows I think I've seen, with possibly the exception of Parenthood.
1: Okay. Sorry for
0: that caveat, but yes, butter noodles.
1: Um, I thought it was interesting how much they say that obviously they have nutritional deficiencies if they're on these very restrictive diets. Um, But even so, she was somewhat uh, encouraging about how much of their nutritional value they can apparently still get from uh, chicken nuggets and cheese crackers. Um,
0: Well, you're doing that sparks for autism, Stands for Simon's Foundation Powering Autism Research for Knowledge. Didn't know that acronym was actually an acronym, but it is.
1: Okay, good to know. So they did this diet study, and so they found like vitamin C, iron, calcium, were actually somewhat within the range of, being normal. Uh calcium was around 100% of the recommended um vitamin E is around 100% of the recommended um iron's a bit high but not too crazy high. Um one thing that they're looking at here is not just deficiencies but also maximums. So you don't have too much of some types of food. There were some areas where there was a, was too much. Magnesium particularly synthetic phosphate and sodium were three of them they said these are really high levels. And then areas that were really lacking were potassium, vitamin D, uh, choline, and dietary fiber. Uh, Which is interesting when I think about it because our youngest son, there's some areas in there I definitely think he also lacks. But then there's some areas there I think he's probably fine with. He does eat a decent amount of bananas. So I think his potassium is probably just fine. Um, But his dietary fiber is something that definitely lacks. He could definitely, I think, do better with that.
0: Uh, yeah, one of the um, bigger problems with Wesley is his constant chronic constipation. mm mm-hmm. um, It's been a problem quite possibly his entire life and just something that we've been trying to deal with at different phases in different ways. And ultimately, I think it does boil down to at least partially a nutrition problem. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, if we had them eating better, you know, more greens, more broccoli. Um, He's okay at eating grains, but even healthier whole grains would be better. Um, He would probably have a more consistent uh, gut movement.
0: Yeah. I think it's interesting to point out, too, that um, constipation has been a problem for Taylor as well. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, even if we didn't necessarily identify that initially.
1: Yeah. Was there anything else that you thought or wanted to point out specifically in this webinar that you thought was uh, interesting?
0: Yeah, I found a couple of things that I thought were really interesting. And um, particularly she made a, a, a strong point of distinguishing the Food selectivity, she called it, um, versus something like anorexia or bulimia. These, it's an eating disorder according to the DSM five, um, which they call the avoidant restrictive feeding disorder, and uh, it's um, an eating disorder that's very different from all of the rest of them out there. It's not anorexia. It's not bulimia. It's certainly not overeating. Um, But it is a really important thing to realize that your sensations, and you talked about texture being um, the reason you're not into melons, but really you're involving almost every sensation with the possible exception of hearing. You see food, you smell food, you taste food, you're touching it. Any one of those things Mm -hmm. can trigger a negative response. Yeah. So to decide or determine that you're only going to eat a a small chunk of what's available because that small chunk of food is what's not going to set off one of those senses is a big deal, uh, nutritionally speaking. She also talked about um, slow and picky eaters. And one thing I think is important or importance, maybe not the best word, but um, one thing that's been interesting with Wesley is that he eats slow. Mm-hmm. Almost like one mealtime slowly melds into the next mealtime. Like if it, if we had Wesley's ideal day, it would just be one really long meal that yeah. just went on and on and on.
1: Like as soon as he's done with breakfast, that he's taken an hour or two to eat like, 30 minutes later, he's like, when's lunch?
0: her is it snack time? Is
1: it snack time? <laughs> it was interesting because there's days like today where he was outside playing for quite a while. And when he outside playing, he doesn't really think too much about food. And he gets home, and it's 3 o'clock, and he had a late breakfast. I think he had then some graham crackers with his sister. And then he went out to play for a long time, and he came home, and he's like, is it lunchtime? And it's like... Three o'clock in the afternoon was like, well, no, it's not really lunchtime. You can have a snack or something, but you were not here and you were not caring about lunch.
0: And, and then now he gets, he's upset
1: because he's missed lunch.
0: Yeah. Then he gets just so upset because now, oops, I've missed it. Like, and and it's it's not even that it's his body that's driving this anger. He's like upset about the idea mm. that he missed a meal.
1: Yeah. He missed a meal. Which or and a specific meal. Breakfast or lunch because I know he'll ask for like a snack, and if I say it's almost dinner time, Benny's upset because he does not like dinner time because dinner time is usually the time of the day where we're trying to push him to do eat something he does not prefer. We'll try to do a mixture of here's something you like, here's something you don't like. We're gonna give you one to try to help you through the other, and this also doesn't just apply to Wesley this applies to both Wesley and Taylor as far as trying to mix the food preferences so they like butter noodles they like white rice they like bread so we'll try to pair those with things they don't like like green vegetables broccoli um
0: any vegetable really
1: yeah pretty much any vegetable um so for instance today I made a grain bowl with farro, which is a rice they really actually don't like because they don't care for brown rices or harder rices. So we made sure we made this grain bowl. We also made them, well, made everybody really grilled cheese from this with this sourdough from this really great local place. Um, That was really good too, but the kids were, you know, they were great with the grilled cheese, but then these bowls, like, I mean, even, I have to say, even Olivia, who will eat just about anything, Was not really that into this bowl.
0: I believe the term she used was hate.
1: (laughs) All right, yes, maybe the term was hate. (laughs) I think Wesley might have said it's disgusting.
0: Yes, one of them did. Yeah. Um,
1: But we still got them to eat. at At least I got Wesley to eat a bite or two of the bowl. And we know that he's getting some nutrients and calories from the other part of the meal.
0: Yeah. So one of the other things I think is interesting to point out is even though we have these um, nutritional concerns and we have, you know, we want to get a variety of food opportunities for the kids, the third thing that food and autism create as a struggle for us is behavior wise mm-hmm. dinner time is such a stressful time because we anticipate from the moment that we start planning dinner what is this meal gonna be like and we know mm-hmm before the meal maybe even hits the shopping carts, we already know what this is going to mean for us.
1: It's that kid from that commercial. I don't think I like waffles. <laughs> that's pretty much Wesley. He will come by and kind of glance around and say, what are we having for dinner? And unless it's the few things, which I usually try to lead with, what's the one ingredient we're having today that he likes? Unless it's one of those few things he's like,
0: I don't like Fish. Or chicken, or pork, or anything on the plate.
1: I don't like veggies. I don't like. Well, he doesn't complain about pizza. Um, trying to think of other things he's recently said that he doesn't like.
0: It's pretty much anything except for the category of foods he does like: mm-hmm. tortillas, buttered noodles, rice, enchiladas,
1: fish tacos. Mm-hmm.
0: Even, he doesn't even really enjoy fish tacos so much. He would rather if you just gave him that tortilla. And
1: oh, yeah. That's the other thing, too. Is there were, So we'll try to also arrange his food so that it's easier for him to consume. So for meat, that means cutting them extremely small for the easier for him to chew. For things like any kind of wrapped food in a tortilla, it's taking a relatively smaller amount and really compressing it down so that it doesn't fall apart on him because... You Give him like what most people consider like a regular sized taco, and that thing's just going to be I'll fall apart on him as he tries to eat it, and that's going to really make him sick. because now not only is it maybe not something he doesn't prefer, but now it's falling, it's collapsing on his hands, it's getting sticky, and he doesn't care for any of that.
0: Sticky is a whole nother sensation that, that Wesley can't tolerate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was thinking about the other day you'd made a uh chicken and rice with some like roasted or sautéed vegetables Mm -hmm. and Wesley sat there for the entire meal complaining and whining how much he doesn't like chicken, how he doesn't like vegetables. Um, Initially he ate his whole portion of rice Yeah, and what was left there was obviously the rest of the food. So after everybody left the table, I sat down and I cut up the chicken into like infinitesimally small pieces, um, covered it in a big spoonful of rice with a little bit of broccoli at the top. And he allowed me to feed it to him. Mind you, Wesley is nine and a half. He's perfectly capable Mm -hmm. of feeding himself. Um, But he was happy to let me feed him and as long as I fed it to him and I hid it with an appropriate amount of rice, he had absolutely no problem with chicken and broccoli. I think you also had, what, uh, green onions, mm-hmm. mushrooms in that?
1: Yeah, there was mushrooms, yeah.
0: He ate all of it without a problem. There wasn't a, a gaying sensation, which we sometimes see with the boys. Um, there wasn't like a... Wesley will sometimes macerate food where he chews it and chews it and chews it until the infinity. Um, usually that chewing ends up in either puking or spitting because he he can't tolerate that moving that food bolus to the back of his mouth and swallowing mm-hmm. um, so that didn't happen it was there was no sign of a sensory problem with this meal. it was just uh. I guess, the the sight sensation of, I don't want to, I know I see what I don't like.
1: Right. And we could even then talk a bit about his brother, because obviously Wesley's not the only one that has an issue. Taylor, when he gets to a food that he doesn't prefer, is very much, you can just see it on his face. He gets just this this look, like, that's... A stare, is that the way you put it? It's just stares at the food with this, like, disgust and revulsion almost in him. And Taylor is a kid where it's... I don't know how to say great, a great way to put it, but... For him, it's a very... Like, it's a thing he knows... It's very focused in his brain. It's not about the texture. I don't think it's so much or the taste even. It's what he thinks he doesn't want.
0: Yeah, I think it's very sight driven. So that's and, the way to,
1: way to put it, sight driven.
0: And he does have some serious awareness of it. He knows that he's not going to like it and he will avoid it. Um, but that's also the power of treating it. We found that if he has a food that he doesn't pre- prefer and we give him some tactics like swallowing down a big gulp of water afterwards or eating it with something he does prefer that he can generally get through it and he can eat it but he is very very conscious about how much he's taking if if we want him to eat broccoli he takes one stalk of broccoli um I we've, we've always said they need to try everything on the table. Mm-hmm. So for Taylor, that often means one carrot, one <laughs> strawberry, yeah. one tiny piece of whatever he knows he doesn't like.
1: The absolute minimum. So mm-hmm. it's often interesting because so there'll be a preferred food on the table, and then unpreferred, a small amount of unpreferred food. And we always give him those tactics of, you know, mix it in with something you like. But almost always without fail, he will take what he wants and eat all of that. And then he's got this pile of food he doesn't want to eat. And then now now he's going to come back to us and say, well, can I have some rice or something else to go with this? But we're like, but why didn't you do that in the first place? Why have you know you're going to have this issue?
0: And then he looks at us like, why didn't I think of that?
1: (laughs) And Taylor used to be, and maybe we should go back up through the kids' history a little bit, because I mean, this is pretty good about their current situation. But when Taylor was first born, Taylor had an oral sensory issue, is that how we would describe it? Where he would not bottle feed enough
0: yeah you know, Taylor had is never bottle fed yeah um, he had what was called an oral aversion, uh, which we believe was developed from being intubated as a newborn um, when those tubes came out, feeding tubes went in, and all of that kind of medical stuff around his mouth and his throat created just a complete aversion, a a sensory overload with his mouth. So when it came time to eat, it initially started that he had trouble coordinating suck and swallow. Mm -hmm. Um, And in fact, his respiratory system was going so quickly at that time that he really wasn't safe trying to coordinate suck and swallow. Um, And then those bad experiences just very slowly over that first year developed. And the result was that Taylor never actually really ate by bottle.
1: Mm-hmm. It was about, I would say, a week after we brought him home from the hospital, that two weeks after we brought him home to the hospital, we headed off again to another hospital down in Madison where they placed a G-tube for him. And then for, for the next two years, he was fed through a G-tube. And... That was that was not a fun time. I mean, for one, trying to feed when we did a pump, so we fed him, and we kind of fed him because he also had a very sensitive stomach. I mean, you couldn't feed him a lot. You know, I mean, babies in general you don't feed a lot very quickly, but him is particularly so. We would end up having to feed him a feeding over like an hour or more. Whereas most babies or infants are eating like over 15 minutes.
0: Yeah, 15 to 20 minutes.
1: So, because otherwise he would just, it would hit his stomach so fast and he would just throw up. And even with that slower feedings, he was still throwing up all the time.
0: It's kind of amazing
1: that he gained weight at all.
0: When we talk about throwing up, we're talking about not just spit up like your average newborn but Taylor would power puke where it would fly across the room, um, kind of horrible mm-hmm. vomiting, just very forceful vomiting.
1: Yes. Um, our carpet did not survive that.
0: <laughs> no, that was one of the first things to go when when time came. Mm-hmm. So eventually this vomiting got so awful and so terrible that his gastroenterologist decided to place a, a jejunal tube, which is a longer type of G-tube that actually goes right through the stomach and down into the small intestine. And with a jejunal tube, um, you can't do bolus feedings because your small intestine isn't meant to to expand like the stomach mm-hmm. is. So at that point, we started doing... Uh, Very, very slow feedings that um, basically went all day. Taylor was fed for 18 hours a day on a continuous feed.
1: Mm -hmm. And And, we got a a little pump with a little battery and a little backpack. And you'd see we have videos of Taylor scooting around with his backpack.
0: Yeah, imagine your toddler trying to learn how to walk and then strapping a, I don't know, five pound pump onto his back and Mm -hmm. saying, hey figure out how to walk with that too (laughs) like it was a crazy time and Mm -hmm. even scooting around at that time trying to drag around tubing and pumping and and trying to make sure it stayed secured so that remember when it would come unsecured
1: oh gosh yes and then all of a sudden you either have a small leak or you would not notice it sometimes a little bit and then all of a sudden you've got this giant puddle of formula
0: and gastrointestinal drippings oh, yeah, from the other side. It was so, so awful.
1: And there was always the risk that it would get pulled out. That only ever, thank goodness, happened once. And it was a pretty simple procedure to get it put it back in, if I remember correctly. We did end up going to the ER for that, though, right?
0: Yeah, we had to go all the way to, Matt, to Milwaukee oh, to get yeah. that replaced.
1: That's right. So that was the one issue we had with the G-tube. But then as far as him getting over his need, there was a time where everybody in the house got sick. I mean, it was really bad. And there was something about that, and I think you probably described it better, but something about that triggered something in Taylor, where oh, yeah. all of a sudden he just... we I mean, we had been working with different, you know, oral therapy professionals... For the entire time, he'd been home. And something about that incident, and maybe it was just coincidence, I don't know. But it triggered in him something where all of a sudden he started to take oral food. I think it started with crackers?
0: No, we had a, like a a nut grinder. And, oh, yeah. Uh, we literally ground up anything we could put through it. We ground up vegetables. We ground up meats. We ground up like hot dogs and... Anything at all, we would grind up into this disgusting, mushy mass and feed it to him. And after that stomach virus that went through the house, um, for I have no idea why, he suddenly was able to put this in his mouth and swallow it. And we just never looked back.
1: Mm-hmm. It was pretty, pretty fast going from all tube feedings. It's like a month between all tube feedings to all over feedings.
0: Yeah, the biggest exception I would say is that he he didn't figure out how to drink.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So it, we would flush the tube with free water to try to help with his fluid intake. Yeah. Because it took much, much longer, probably five or six months before he w- started to figure out how to swallow liquids. Everything was kind of a mushy solid. Mm-hmm. At that time. And then when he was just over three, we had that removed Mm -hmm. completely.
1: And since then, he still had the, he still has this, even to this day, he has this ability and it's gotten better as we've worked with him. But anything he's not preferring, any kind of vegetables, he, sometimes he would put those in his mouth to chew and he would chew on them for like 10 minutes until you get to the point where he was so convinced that he could not swallow this, that his brain would cause his body to throw it up, anything he eaten.
0: Mm-hmm. And unlike Wesley, Wesley has this power too, but Wesley is more like, uh, I'm going to spit out what's in my mouth. Mm-hmm. Taylor would throw up everything in his belly. Yeah. Um, I can remember one... One summer we went to your mother's house and, and we had like hamburgers, um, which Taylor loves hamburgers, so mm-hmm. don't get me wrong. Uh, but she bought sesame seed buns. Oh, gosh, those buns. <laughs> and Taylor saw these seeds on top of the bun and he was done. He was like, I'm not eating that. And we're like, Taylor, it's a seed on a bun. And he put it in his mouth and he started to chew and he started to chew and he's chewing and he's chewing. And then all of a sudden he is throwing up the whole hamburger that he had eaten before the bun Mm -hmm. all over the table. It was awful. Just awful. Um, Not, not even the, the throwing up, but that he would do it all over the table in front of everyone eating. Like now nobody at the table wants to eat because we've just watched this. Mm -hmm. And I remember after that, I had this resolve, like, I'm going to teach him to spit that whatever he doesn't want in his mouth into a napkin and do it really discreetly so that no matter where we are, nobody has to ever witness this again. And so I pulled him aside and I said, Taylor, you know, when you get that feeling where you just can't swallow, I said, it's okay to take your napkin and just put it over your mouth and kind of spit out that little bite into your napkin and fold it up and shove it away on the table. Mm -hmm. And he was like, oh, really? I can do this. And let me tell you, he can't. (laughs) He has never been able to discreetly... Spit out! <laughs> now, what he does instead of throwing up all over the table is he covers his mouth while gagging it into his mm-hmm. hand and runs for yeah. the bathroom or the garbage. Yes, it's still quite a sight. Mm-hmm. Do you I'm... do you remember being at the Christmas store? I don't think you were there. No, actually, we went to we went to Milwaukee once. I I think I took a nurse with me to Milwaukee with Taylor. Okay. And we stopped at that Kris Kringle Christmas shop just outside of Fond du Lac. And we're sitting there in this Christmas shop, which I think it was like July. So it was really weird to be there. And, you know, it was like, we wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you, you know, all Christmassy and mm-hmm. singing Christmas songs. And here's my child leaning over his stroller and vomiting like, totally wrenching in this Christmas shop. I'll never, ever forget it.
1: I definitely was not there cause I know that shop, but I've never been in that shop.
0: And then I think there was a time when we were at, uh, the house of pancakes, I And Taylor, um, mm-hmm. threw up all over. I feel yeah, I think
1: like I remember that too.
0: I feel like I saw it on my time, my time, time hop up. recently. Yeah. And, uh, Yeah. Sorry to anyone who was at (laughs) IHOP.
1: (laughs) Yeah, sorry to anyone. We kinda get used to it when we do when it happens so often you just kinda get used to it and it doesn't really phase us, I don't think, much anymore.
0: No, but I can see the horror on the faces of people around us and our Mm -hmm. family and it seemed to happen a lot to your mother, but I I feel like she also pushed the kids in Yeah, she would in ways that most people wouldn't. Yeah. Yeah, my
1: mother is not going to, well, she kind of surprised me sometimes, but for the most part, she's not about to make anything special because you're a kid or anything like that. She's going to have you eat what she thinks we should all eat, and it's not going to be different. So we're not going to have butter noodles. We're going to have, you know, roasted vegetables and sautéed chicken and whatever else we're going have at night.
0: So maybe this is a good place for us to talk about, you know, what we do. When we're in a situation where we got foods so that the kids don't like and mm-hmm. this is happening, what do we do?
1: Well, for the most part, I think we we break it down and we somewhat I think deconstruct it. And for Wesley it's about getting into smaller pieces. Um what is it for Taylor? I'm trying to think.
0: I do a lot of reminding him to drink some water, mm-hmm, yes. have some kind of beverage that he likes. I so feel like if he has a liquid to ride on, it it just goes down mm-hmm. better.
1: Yeah, and it's almost always something along those lines that works.
0: And we also talked to them about respectfully refusing food, mm-hmm. um, where Wesley has a much harder time with this because he doesn't really understand the social cues of respecting that someone has made you food. Yeah, <laughs> That part of... Social, I mean, food is a very social thing. Um, So we've, you talk about being polite, like, thank you, but I'm not interested in this Mm -hmm. food. And um, trying to find the the little diamonds in the rough, things you like, that's among the things you maybe don't like.
1: It's never too easy. Thankfully, there's usually something that they like, but it can be tricky for those more complicated things and obviously all this has affected their growth um taylor definitely considered smaller both him and his sister are very much small for their age um, you see them in their class photos and they're always the short ones in the front and then wesley even more so i mean you compare him to his his sister his twin sister and she is much bigger than he is um she actually has a chart of Wesley's growth over the years. And I think I was reading it backwards before, but he's slowly gotten more and more into the percentiles. But
0: Yeah, so um, when you look at our kids, most people can guess that Taylor and Olivia are about the same age. Mm-hmm. Most people would say that Ava is definitely older than Wesley. Yeah. And they would guess it's more than two minutes. Yeah. Um, for sure. So this uh, sheet I have in front of me is all of Wesley's weights from birth until 2016, which was two years ago. Um, and for, oh, every single weight from 2009 until 2011, he is not even on the growth curve. Mm. Um as far as the percentage of of uh, where he sits in the percentage of kids his age yeah wait the height so most kids would fit somewhere like the 50th percentile or above um, wesley's not even on that curve he 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 doesn't get there um, when we get to oh 2011 he has he has a little lurch and he makes it to one two uh, percent uh, on the weight chart, mm-hmm. and then on February of 2012, he's back down to one percent. So even when he does make gains, he can he can fall back. Mm-hmm. And we saw that again. Um, the highest one on here is 2015. He made it to the sixty third percentile, which is pretty um, huge for him, and that's on BMI, mm-hmm. for his weight, he only made it to the 20th percentile. Um, by October of 2016, he had fallen back in BMI and he's down to the 58th percentile. So you know weight gain for him, and I would agree with Taylor, I haven't seen his numbers recently, but um, the fact of their clothing sizes mm-hmm. tells me that... Wesley is just growing out of size 7 and into size 8s. And Taylor can still squeeze his body comfortably into Wesley's clothes. Yeah. So you know that there's some problem there in terms of weight gain.
1: hmm It's kind of funny when the boys... When Taylor works to separate out the clothes. And sometimes he forgets who's is who's. And then we'll find him walking around in a shirt. I'm like, that's Wesley's shirt.
0: Yeah, it's pretty obvious to me when I look at them. I can see that it it's really tight on him. But the fact that he doesn't like think, gosh, these pants are really tighter than the last time I wore them mm-hmm. is is really a sign to me that he's still quite small. Yes. They're, they're comfortable and they shouldn't be.
1: And nobody should be wearing their 3-month, three 3-year three younger brother's clothes and being like, "This is good. This is fine."
0: Yeah, and it becomes a problem because we only have so many sets of clothes for each of the kids. Yeah. So if Taylor's wearing everything that's Wesley's, then what does Wesley wear? Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Well, I think that's pretty good. That's a pretty good summation of our current experience with eating and nutrition with the kids. Um, I'll throw this link to this webinar, which I thought was pretty interesting, into the show notes. Um, if you want to find out more about this show, you had something
0: else? Yeah, I just wanted to add that the big takeaways for me from the webinar was that kids are really deficient in vitamin D, especially when you live in areas that don't have sun, um, such as Portland. Um, Not recently. Yeah, (laughs) true. True. It's been hot and sunny here, Um, but throughout the year, it's a little rainier and cloudier here than it is sunny. So vitamin D is really important. And I would say, um, the other takeaway for me was dietitian. Yeah. I've never thought to involve a dietitian in the boys' like care team. And that's something I'm going to work towards for our kids now because the importance of identifying what elements they might not be getting in their diet, such as iodine. Mm-hmm. Um, John and I both use uh, non-iodized salt. So most people don't have a problem with iodine because you dump salt on everything, which yeah. I'm going to say we do our fair share of dumping salt, but we use kosher salt or crazy salt, which neither one are iodized. So that kind of hit me in a personal way and something I feel like um, we need to put on the the care mm-hmm. team.
1: Yeah, that's a really good point.
0: So there's some takeaways.
1: Yeah. Um, if you want to find out more about us and our lives, you can check us out at jstannis.com. Uh, we're both on Twitter. I'm John Stannis, and then my wife is JJ Stannis. So if you want to reach out to us at all, you can reach us there and um, send us any questions you have about us or our kids, I guess. Um, <laughs> otherwise, I guess until next time we turn these microphones on and get them working, um, <laughs> we'll talk to you later. Bye. Bye, everybody. Smoochie, smudgey. Bye-bye. <laughs>
0: I was just going to say for the times when I call you over and then it just starts to work.
1: Can you be a little bit closer to your microphone?
0: Only if you make me. I'll try.